Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Perspectrum. Uh, we had a whole episode planned for tonight, as we usually do. Um, and in light of the war in Ukraine, our first segment was focused on that. But as we had that conversation, we realized that, well, really two things. One... There's no episode after that, after talking about the atrocities that are being committed on the Ukrainian people. We can't be lighthearted. We can't talk about other issues. And two, if nothing else, listen to that segment. Listen to it. Share it. You know, official numbers of death are being underreported. Not intentionally, but just because of lack of access. There are thousands of civilians being ruthlessly murdered in Ukraine. And everyone needs to know that. So we're just going to give a quick update on the COVID numbers and go right into that segment. In the world, so far, we've reached 463 million cases, which is up from 451 million a week ago. So that's 12 million new cases in a week, or about 1.7 million new cases per day, which is up about 9% from, 9 from uh, 1.57 million cases per day last week. Um, at this point, we've reached 6.08 million deaths, which is up from 6.04 million uh, the week before. So that's 40,000 new deaths in a week, or about 5.7 thousand deaths per day which is actually down 19% from 7,000 deaths per day the prior week. In terms of vaccination, 65.3% of the world has at least one dose, which is up from 65.1% last week, so just a 0.2% increase in vaccination rate. In the U.S., we've reached 81.3 million cases, which is up from 81.0 million cases last week, so that's 300,000 new cases in a week, or about 43,000 new cases per day, which is pretty much flat from the prior week. We've reached 993,000 deaths in the United States, which is up from 989,000 the week before. So that's 4,000 new deaths, or about 571 deaths per day, which is actually down significantly, down 65% from the deaths per day the week before which is pretty amazing. Like under a thousand deaths per day. We haven't been here in, in many, many months. Yeah. And in terms of vaccination, we're at 77% with one dose, 65% with two doses and 29% with three doses. If those numbers sound familiar, it's because they're exactly the same as last week. Ay, ay, ay. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like we're topping out on vaccination in the U S. And the world, honestly, like just a 0.2% increase in vaccination rate worldwide. Yeah. It's pretty astounding. Yeah. And it, do, it does seem to me like it's very likely that what's going to end up happening is that it's going to end up being an annual thing because we weren't able to nip this in the bud. It's going to keep coming back and keep coming back. And it looks like the way that this ends is more of a kind of prolonged living with it type of mm. world where yeah. we get a new booster like every year and uh, we hope that's enough. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think which is shitty to say. True, pretty shitty to say. <clears throat> but like, what's encouraging is that our boosters are good. Yeah, they really do reduce deaths yeah. from this disease. Like, and that's it. Seems like it seems like harm mitigation is kind of the stage we're in at this point. Yeah, I mean, look, this is anecdotal, and yeah, I hate not anecdotes. Disease ex- experts. I'm not a disease <laughs> expert or anything, but look, when I I'm pretty sure that I got COVID. Uh, I was sick for like half a day, like literally yeah. just sick for, I, I'm triple boosted. I was sick for like half a day. Now that's an anecdote. So read actual studies on it. But you know what? If, if, if people view anecdotes like, uh, Oh, someone took the COVID vaccine and it turned their balls into frogs or whatever. Like <laughs> if, 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 if that is something that's going to convince you, if anecdotes like that are going to convince you, then let me just point out my own anecdote. When I got <laughs> sick, I was sick for like half a day. Yeah. But, but how hoppy were your balls? Um, <laughs> were they jumping all over the place? No more than usual. Frog wise. No more no than more usual. Than, okay. All right. Well, if that's the case, then, then I'm sold. <laughs> Well, okay, enough laughing, yep. enough fun stuff. Yep. This is the end of the fun part of the episode. Yep. And yeah, that was about COVID. So. <laughs> yeah, let's let's uh, talk about something less funny than COVID. Oh, God. So I just, before we get started, I just want to give everybody a quick trigger warning. We're going to talk about terrible things in this episode. We're going to talk about horrific graphic war crimes that are being committed by Russia. And I just want to forewarn you, this is going to be a rough one. So first off, let's, let's talk about some of the political updates with Russia, uh, with mm-hmm. the Russia, Ukraine situation. Um, so the war still rages on, uh, the war yeah. continues to intensify. Um, as it stands, uh, Russia still does not control a significant portion of the country. Yeah. As it stands, Ukraine is still pretty significantly holding its own. Yeah. Russia has not captured any of the 10 largest cities in yeah. Ukraine, which is just remarkable. Yeah, absolutely. And it looks like the Russians have expressed interest in potentially talking, which mm-hmm. at least tells you that Putin is starting to feel the sanctions. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. When Putin initially tried to pretend that the reason why he wanted to he wanted to invade Ukraine was, oh, it's because we're threatened by them. It's because they might attack us. They might invade us. You know, when when he said, oh, we're doing it to denazify them. We're going to denazify their Nazi government with a Jewish president and a Jewish prime minister. Totally going to denazify them. We 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 need to go in there and denazify them. Um, when he said that he was he was worried about the expansion of NATO. When he said all of that, we knew it was bullshit. Like, mm-hmm. it was obviously bullshit from the very beginning. Yeah, and we did a whole segment last week about yeah. not only that it was bullshit, but why that particular bullshit. Yeah, and what's interesting is that the things that he is currently putting on the table in terms of negotiation kind of mimic his initial justifications but because we know that those were bullshit, this makes it clear that he's realizing, oh, fuck, I'm losing this and I need to save face. Mm. <laughs> That's so, hilarious. If yeah. what he gets out of the negotiations, I mean, it's obviously all tragic, but if what Putin gets out of the negotiations is like, 
no Nazis in government. <laughs> it's like, all right, done. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to be awesome. Yeah. So, so um, basically what they're asking for at this point is, um, uh, quote, the question of principle for our country and its future, the neutral status of Ukraine, its demilitarization, and its denazification. We are ready, and we are ready to discuss as part of negotiations. So, first off, let's talk about demilitarization. Yeah. If I were Ukraine, I'd be like, yeah, no, that's off the table. Yeah. <laughs> like, fuck sure. you. You have demonstrated that you're a threat to us, so we want to keep our military because we don't trust your ass. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not the leader of Ukraine. Like, I can't make those decisions for them. And if they decide that they need to do that in order to in order to save civilians, like, do that. Yeah, do um, what's necessary. But, you know, I, I find that to be an unreasonable ask. Um, mm-hmm. Maintaining a neutral status. So, that's an interesting one. Because that's kind of what they've already been doing. So, sure. so the, the, big, the big thing that Russia claimed was the reason why they invaded Ukraine is because they were worried about NATO expansion. Ukraine mm-hmm. wanted to join NATO, which, by yeah. the way, recently Zelensky even kind of came out and had basically said that he has accepted the fact that they will probably never join NATO. Yeah, and the thing is, all, NATO has also said, sorry, you're never joining. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, like, look, I, I would say that, you know— Part of me does think that kind of sucks that a sovereign country has to live by the 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 will and the whims of the country right next to them just because they're a bunch of assholes. But yeah. you know, I I, I mean, that's but it's like some- a military reality. It's yeah. like you wouldn't sign up for, you know, like something that could trigger World War Three if if you don't have to. Exactly, exactly. So that that makes total sense. And then of course denazification. Again, this there is one um, small political faction in Ukraine that is made up of card-carrying Nazis. Um, and and you know what? We we should in the West we should acknowledge that they exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was listening to an interview with an expert on um, on like the Nazis in Ukraine and the the Ukraine situation. And basically, in the last election, um, they got like three percent of the vote. Three percent of the vote. I mean, yeah, a higher percentage of Nazis probably exist in the United States. Yeah, I was gonna say like we've got more Nazis in our government. I'd wager. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch! I, I was just talking about the people that were actually like voting. Th- they were actually voting. I wasn't talking about the government, but <laughs> well, we've got we can count at least a couple just off the top of our head. Um, but 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 anyways, I I mean. I mean, if I were if I were Ukraine, I'd just be like, okay, you know what? Done. We are no longer allowing Nazis in the government. Sure. You know. I mean, that that would literally <laughs> help Zelensky a tiny, tiny bit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I mean it's 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 a stupid fucking group of um a group of demands, but it it, in a lot of ways, like except the demilitarization, it doesn't necessarily cost that much. Ukraine yeah. has already said that it is willing to negotiate, uh, but will not surrender or accept Russian ultimatums. So Kiev's negotiator, uh, Mikhailo Podolik, which I probably did not say that correctly, and I do apologize, um, said, quote, 
Ukraine is now in a direct state of war with Russia. Consequently, mm. the model can only be Ukrainian and only on legally verified security guarantees. Now, so that mm. was a direct response to the fact that they wanted to, them to use the Swedish and Austrian model of neutrality. And the mm, Ukrainians are basically saying, no, we're going we're gonna to do our own model. We're going to come up with our own terms. We're not going to accept your ultimatums, and we're not going to surrender to you. Mm-hmm. So the idea of coming to a diplomatic solution is extremely welcome. And the fact that Russia seems open to it is definitely a good thing. And obviously Zelensky wants this because, you know, he wants people to stop trying to kill his citizens. Yeah. Um, so but so this, does, this makes sense. It does speak volumes about their resolve yeah. and their dedication to their cause that one, they're willing to like hold out for terms that are, actually in ukrainian interest yeah but two that you know they're they're willing to say like well even while this war is going on like we're not reaching a conclusion that hurts us long term because like like as i was i was reflecting as we were preparing for this um on kind of ukraine's position and they're in a really bad spot yeah like like obviously that's a pretty like obvious thing to say verging on like dumb (laughs) to say Ukraine is in a bad spot with like one of the world's like biggest supervillains and an enormous army invading their country. But like, if I think about Ukraine's position relative to the international community, like the international strategy is actually not one that preserves Ukraine. Yeah. It's one that prevents world war three. Yeah. And if in its most effective form, it sends Russia home with its tail between its legs and its economy in a bad spot. But it doesn't necessarily leave Ukraine with much. You know, like yeah. all military analysts are anticipating a Russian military victory. Like basically the Ukrainian strategy is playing for time, like yeah. ruining Russian morale, taking the support for the war and the invasion you know, out from under the the army at home, you know, domestically in Russia, removing that support by delaying their progress. But meanwhile, the Ukrainian economy is being shredded. Th- more than three million people have fled the country. Half of of Kiev is like has left. It's being bombed. Its energy infrastructure is being destroyed. Like. In truth, like, Ukraine lost, like, the moment Russia invaded. Yeah. So the question is really only, like, will Russia lose too? And will the Ukrainian government be essentially intact by the time they leave? Yeah. So, like, it is incredibly brave for Zelensky and his administration and negotiators to realize that like they do like there's only like the success of their strategy depends on time. And the only thing they have to win is that they still have their country at the end, a country that's like broken and decimated and, and will rely on the international community significantly to recover. But like realizing that the sovereignty of Ukraine is it there. It's not the invasion is something they're not just going to accept despite yeah. being way worse off in basically either case. 
Yeah. Another thing that I think we should uh, talk about real quick is Zelensky actually addressed U.S. Congress. Yeah. And I actually I, I sat through and watched the uh, 18 minute address. It was it was powerful. And once again, he did uh, he did reiterate his advocacy for a no-fly zone. Mm. And he said, if, if you can't do a no-fly zone, then transfer jets. So mm-hmm. I'm going to, a little bit later, we're going to go over the specifics of Russia's war crimes, but I do just, I just want to reiterate why this is a sticky situation and why a no-fly zone is is a little bit scary. And 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 one of the things that I want to that I kind of want to also point out is that when people are given, when Americans are given an honest, uh, an honest view of what a no-fly zone actually means, suddenly support yeah. shoots down. So mm-hmm. last week we talked about a poll that said that it was like a, a little over seventy percent of Americans supported a no-fly zone. So this week there was a there was a YouGov poll, and it showed that as it stands, when the question is asked, "Do you think enforcing a no-fly zone over Ukraine is a good idea or a bad idea?" Forty percent say good idea, thirty percent say bad idea. So, interestingly enough, the polls are already shifted there. Mm-hmm. However, when the question when the question is proposed. Should the U.S. military shoot down Russian military planes over Ukraine? 30% support, 46% don't support. Hmm. So it completely flips. And in fact, significantly more people oppose it. Gotcha. And the, th- and yeah. the thing that I think people need to realize is those are the same question. Yeah. Those yeah, are the exact same question. It's just a matter of misunderstanding yeah. what a no-fly zone A no-fly zone means that the U.S. military is going to start shooting down planes over Ukraine. That is that is what it means. Mm-hmm. And people recognize that the moment we do that, World War III starts. Yeah. And that would be even worse than what is currently going on. And again, I do not fault Zelensky in the least for wanting a no-fly zone because— there are horrors happening in his country. Yeah. There are absolute horrors. And we just laid it out. Military aid is the only way Ukraine makes it out of this. Yeah. Without, you know, being totally broken. Yeah. Um, a plane transfer is also a little bit more dicey. Yeah. Part of it is like from, from some things that I've read, part of it is the fact that it's harder to get planes off the ground in Ukraine so hmm, interesting. some of them would have to launch from like other countries, which could be perceived as an act of aggression. Hmm. And so far, the Biden administration hasn't taken a specific stance on that yet. They're still very firmly against uh, creating a no-fly zone. And it seems like most, it seems like that's a mostly bipartisan consensus. So like uh, Senator Rick Scott, a Republican from Florida uh, called on Biden to enforce a no-fly zone or to allow plane transfer, and he actually he he actually called Biden heartless for not doing it. Which I mean, mm. dude, 
you're just trying to score cheap political points. You know it's more complicated. Like, you know it's not just he doesn't he doesn't care about Ukrainian people. That's why he's not doing it. You, you fucking know that. All right? Yeah. But, but, but anyways, I'm... Most people do recognize the fact that 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 is just going to escalate things. Um, one thing that Biden did do right after the speech was he announced another uh, $800 million in additional military aid, which included um, 600 Stinger anti-aircraft miss- missiles and over 2,000 Javelin missiles, among other weapons. Mm. You know, which, by the way, Javelin missiles was... Uh, that's what Zelensky was trying to buy from Trump when Trump used his power of the presidency to uh, try to extort him. Just a fun little fact there. Just a fun little anecdote there. Just going to throw that in there. And the Javelin missiles have been really important to yeah. Ukrainian success and strategy so far because they bust tanks. Yeah. And so like they've been really important for... Um, the ability of like the people of Ukraine to stand up to the larger military might of the Russian military. Yeah. There was another thing that, um, Zelensky did during the, uh, during the address. Uh, he showed a video. He showed a video of atrocities that Russia has been committing. He showed a video of, of buildings being bombed of, of dead children, of injured children, of bloodied people. And Congress wasn't warned that this that this would be shown. He just showed it. And it was an extremely powerful video. Mm-hmm. It was a extremely powerful representation of what is happening in Ukraine. And I think we need to spend a good amount of time talking about what it is that is happening in Ukraine. Because we, here, here, here's, here's something that I want to address real quick. It feels like a lot of people in the rest of the world treat this like a, a TV show or a comedy of errors that Russia's doing. Like, like we see all these images of, of, of Ukrainian farmers stealing Russian tanks with tractors, and we laugh at that. You know, we see we see videos of of Russians driving on the road and running out of fuel because Putin was so overconfident that he, you know, instead of rations, extra rations, he had them pack like military victory suits for a military for for a celebration. We look at that and we laugh at it because it's funny. You know, we look at stuff like uh, a bunch of um, uh, a bunch of Ukrainian naval na- naval people being threatened by a Russian ship telling that Russian ship to go fuck themselves. We see that as funny. And then by the way, that, that Russian, the the Russian ship in that story got, got sunk recently. We look at that and we think, yeah, that's funny. That's a comedy of errors. That's great. That's, that is, that is something that is, that is poetic justice. And I think that to an extent that should be maintained because I think that embarrassment for Putin is going to be a powerful thing for this war because the longer that he is embarrassed, because look, this is a, this is not some type of strategic international plan. This is the personal ambition of a demagogue. 
This is one person who has personal ambitions. And the yeah. way that you fight against personal ambitions is personal humiliation. So mm -hmm. I think that should continue. However, we cannot forget about the atrocities that are being that are being carried out. We cannot forget about the real life impacts that are happening. Uh, the real life slaughter of civilians, the the war crimes that are being committed by Russia during this whole thing. And and before I get into this, again, I just want to reiterate, this is not the Russian civilians. This is the Russian government. Do not blame the Russian people throughout the world. Many Russian people are protesting. Many Russian people are completely against this. There's this yeah. one, there's this one Russian woman that ran into the middle of a news studio in the studio in the middle of a broadcast with a sign saying that it was a war, like saying yeah. this is a war. The civilians are being killed to stop the war. There are lots of Russian people that are good, that are on the right side of this. But we have to know what the Russian government is doing. All right. So one of the war crimes that they committed recently, and you know what? This one might actually sound familiar at first. So uh, according to The Guardian, uh, Russian forces shot and killed 10 people standing for bread in a northern Ukrainian city of Chernoviv. Mm. Now that might sound familiar because we talked about people in a, a bread line being slaughtered last week. This is a different, this is a different one. This is a different group of people. This happened the day we were recording this, the day we're recording this. All right, which is which is the 16th of March. There were in 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 Maripol, there were Russian forces that that bombed a theater where civilians were taking shelter. The bodies of, of five people, including three children, were recovered today during searches of residential buildings that were damaged in the shelling in the city of Chernobyl. And you know what? I, I wanna I wanna talk, I, I wanna spend some time talking about Maripol. So the Associated Press did a really long article and a really well-documented article. Uh, a well-researched article and a very well-written article about what is going on in Maripol right now. So the reason why Maripol is important is because of where it's located geographically. So geographically, it is right in the way of the, the Russian invasion. It's very close mm. to the border. Um, and right now, it is pretty much completely encircled by the Russian military. So here's here here's here's a little taste of what's going on. So the official number of civilians that have been killed by that that, that the UN has documented is about uh, 600 civilian deaths. However, those are just the official count by the UN. They do not have the resources to document all the deaths. Yeah. All right. Local officials in just the city of Maripol have put that number at 2,500. Jesus Christ. They're, they're completely encircled. The city is completely encircled. One of, one of the first of the, of the children in Marpole to die was uh, this, this six-year-old girl that, that they, were, they were able, the, the reporters from the Associated Press were able to document. She was, she, there, was there was an explosion and she was, she was wearing fucking uh, 
like cartoon pajamas as she was being dragged into a into an ambulance and she died in the ambulance because they weren't able to resuscitate her after this happened uh one of the doctors like ran up to the 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 camera that the associated press reporter was holding and just yelled show this to putin the eyes of this child and the crying doctors but but russia says that they they don't target civilians there's a 16-year-old was playing soccer, was out playing soccer. Russia, Russia bombed the soccer field and their legs were blown off and died shortly after. The Associated Press has a picture of the father crying over, uh, over the body of the, of the dead boy. Uh, there's a, there's a, I'm, I'm looking at the picture right now. There's a sheet. It, it's covered in blood over the over the body, and the father is just crying over it. Remember last week when Michael and I talked about the maternity hospital that was bombed? So in that maternity hospital, um, one of the one of the women that w- was injured in that rescuers were able to pull her out of the rubble, and um, they 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 tried to they 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 pulled her out to the snow, um. And she was dying and her baby was dying and she was in so much pain. She was screaming, kill me now. A little bit later, the baby was born dead. Another half hour later, she was dead too. Another mother that was injured was able to actually have her baby. And then like a day later in the hospital that she was recovering from, tanks opened fire on it. Sniper fire. There was sniper fire on it. There, one of the AP journalists who was with the healthcare workers got shot in the hip. By the way, I just want to point out, there are two AP reporters in the city of Maripol, and this is the only reason why we know what is happening. All right? Mm-hmm. It's because of these two reporters, one of which has already been shot. All right? But they're, they're staying there to document this. All right? Mm-hmm. 2,500 civilians have been killed in this city alone. And the only reason why we know about this specific city, you know, not even thinking about other cities, not even thinking about the rural parts of Ukraine, this specific city alone, the only reason why we know about it is because there are two AP reporters that are bravely doing their job. All right. And they're putting their lives at risk in order to cover this. At, at night, they have to crowd into, into these bomb shelters. The, the, the people of the city have to crowd into bomb shelters. Um, the, the woman that I talked about, like that actually did survive, was giving birth while listening to, to, to shell fire in the background. Mm. Um, the, they have these mass graves on the outside of the city where they basically just have to quickly drag bodies and throw them in the holes and run away. And the reason why they have to do that is because there is so much shelling. They have to, they have to toss the bodies just in, in grave after grave after grave after grave after mass grave to better their own chances of survival. Officials have told families, don't recover your dead from the streets because that's too dangerous. 
You have to leave your dead family members in the streets because it's too dangerous to recover the bodies. 2,500 civilians. And they can't leave because the Russians have encircled the entire city. They've, they've cut off all humanitarian aid. So the, the water in, this, in the city is unsafe. They can't get food from the outside. There's no electricity. And they can't leave because they might get shelled or they might run into a mine because there are mines all around the fucking city. The idea... I mean, this is, this is an ancient medieval idea, which is you encircle a city, you bleed it dry as much as possible, you get people hungry and thirsty and dying so that it's easy for you to just go in so you don't lose any, any soldiers. But the Russians don't target civilians. This is a fucking atrocity. This is a fucking war crime. But the Russians don't target civilians. Children are dying. We can see the images. That, that, and, and the Russians are still denying it. So the, the, the one pregnant lady that actually survived that I told you about, the, uh, one of the ambassadors in London for Russia um, tweeted about it. And, and, and the picture of the woman being dragged away from the rubble of this maternity hospital put a, put a big fake, like a fake stamp on it. You know, claimed that, oh, this was just an actress. This was all set up. Despite the fact that this, the particular woman who was, who was involved in this, the, 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 the woman that was actually survived and gave birth, she had been documenting her entire birth process on Instagram. We know it wasn't fake. We know that this actually happened. But they are pretending that it's not happening. They're denying blatant facts as their armies commit atrocities. Every single Russian official is complicit in this now even if the even if the russians do pull out you know what the sanctions that we currently have on russia the ones that are targeted at the economy as a whole i think those should be lifted because we don't want to keep hurting the civilians but the sanctions that we have on the oligarchs the sanctions that we have on putin himself those should stay there those should stay there until Putin is either out of office, is, is removed from office, or one oligarch gets tired of not being able to use their yacht and puts a fucking bullet in his head. This cannot continue. Find the Associated Press article. Look at the pictures. You, you, the, the Associated Press article is going to be posted. Read the article. The world needs to know what's happening. And we're just going to end the podcast right there. Um, in lieu of our highlights, we're going to take a few moments of silence for the people of Ukraine. And thank you so much for listening to the Perspectrum and this really important message. And uh, we'll be back next week.